Welcome to Nova et Vetera, a special series of monk cast coming to you from the Abbey Archives. In which younger monks interview their elders about what it was like back in the day. We hope, we hope you, you enjoy, enjoy it. Prophet de Tessarosu Nova et Vetera Hello, listener land. We're a couple of novices of uh, St. Benedict's Abbey, and uh, we wanted to introduce the concept behind the podcast in this special series of Nova et Vetera. That's right. And um, the really, this, this came out of a novitiate project that we're doing. What's a novitiate project? A novitiate project is something that the abbot asks you to do when he wants the oral history of the, of the monastery taken down, and you have lots of free time as a novice, so you can do that. <laughs> That's that is that is an explanation of the of what a novitiate project is. Um, another way to think about it is it, it's it's almost like an Eagle Scout project for the monastery, where you of your own initiative, novices has a chance to give back to the abbey and um, contribute to the life. And but it's true that Abbot James kind of mentioned to us that it would be a great idea for a novitiate project to gather oral histories of our elders. In a way, this podcast is. Uh, dedicated to Father Dennis Mead, who was the archivist here. It was great to get to know him in the last year of his life. Recently passed away, and we wanted to. He was he was really at the top of the list to get a lot of stories. Um, he was teaching us our the history of Saint Benedict's Abbey uh, here before he died. So what we'd like to do is uh, share with the listeners of Monkcast selections from the interviews we've been doing. Uh, first one coming your way is from Father Dwayne Roy, who was the prior at our um, priory in Brazil um, for many years. And uh, I sat down with him and asked him uh, what, what it was like in Brazil, how the priory got started, what his experience was like, what uh, what we've learned from it. The, 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 the big questions that we ask towards the conclusion of each of the interviews um, center around the experience of the monk at their in their time here and uh, what it is that they wish to pass along to the younger generation so one of one of the one of the big things is what is what is the thing that you found the most surprising about being a monk of saint benedict's abbey and then what is your favorite line from saint benedict's rule the rule that we live uh and that they've been living for much longer than we have and if you had a piece of advice to pass along to a novice that was listening to this uh, 50 years from now, what would you say to that novice? Um, someone who's new to life at St. Benedict's Abbey and maybe could stand to learn from the experience of someone who, uh, who had gone before them. And then we, uh, we also ask them to conclude and end each session in prayer. Yeah, and so in that way it's a way to share the the nova et vetera the the new and the old it's also a first step in the technological advancement of abbey archives so that one day our holograms will be sharing with with <laughs> with, with novices a hundred years later uh hopefully some wisdom and experience we've picked up well we hope you enjoy nova et vetera nova et vetera.
Why don't you introduce yourself? Your yes, I'm Father Dwayne Roy. My last name is Roy. Uh, I've been a monk here in St. Benedict's Abbey since uh, July 1960. Uh, so almost uh, almost half a decade, uh, a, heck, a half a century. That's right. When did you um, when did you profess vows? It would have been. Uh, 1961, the first vows. Mm-hmm. Um, and what year were you born, Father Dwayne? I was born in 41. 41. So I was 20 years old when I had vows. And you're you're a Kansas native, right? Oh yes. What what town did you hail? Do you hail from? I hail from a little town called Stockton, Kansas. It's in the middle of the wheat field country. Um, and. Uh, what year were you ordained a priest? 67. Okay, so pretty soon uh, you were already yeah. in formation for that when you were taking vows. Right. Interesting, uh, I did all my theology here at the Abbey. Oh, okay. At that time we had a fine teaching staff. Mm-hmm. I was very pleased with our teaching staff with theology. Mm-hmm. What brought you to the Abbey in the first place? What's your uh, What's your vocation story? I came uh, as a student... And within a semester, I guess I kind of, you might say, enthused about the um, the young monks here. And uh, I talked to my prefect in Freshman Hall, Father Matthias Smith, and he was. Uh, he says uh, he encouraged me quite a bit. But he said, well, I have to get better grades. <laughs> but uh, then after after the second year in college, I decided to join a monastery. So I entered novitiate in July. Uh, and then I, uh, that interesting was the largest novitiate class we had here. Mm-hmm. We were 16. Uh, of course, there was only five of us, Kansas. But another eleven came from New Jersey Monastery, St. Mary's in New Jersey, and it was a very interesting group. You know, is is that when they St. Mary sent them over here for novitiate, and then they went they went back to St. Mary's? Yes. Okay. What was your uh, experience of formation like? I enjoyed it. I considered that we had very good leadership here at the monastery. Uh, the a group of clerics. We're an excellent guy. We had probably about uh, about thirty clerics up on the third floor. Very uh, edifying men. What was a day in the life of of a novice? Father Francis Broderick was a novice master, and he was uh, stricter for keeping the place clean and organized. And so we did a lot of cleaning around this house, other than the novitiate. We would clean out the other places. The stairs, we would wash almost uh, every week. It's, it's nice to know some things haven't changed. Why don't you introduce us to um, Brazil? And I guess, the first of all, the maybe some of the Abbey's history in Brazil. Yes, it was already, when I was a novice, they were talking about going to Brazil in 1960. And I end up going in uh, 1971. I and Brother Robert 
from the monastery and two other sisters from the mount, Sister Grace and Sister Mariella. Uh, so four of us journeyed together. There was already Benedictine sisters there in the city. city's called Minators. The founding fathers was uh, B- um, uh, Father Matthias Smith and Father Otho. Uh, he was an elderly man. He had experience in chaplaincy in the United States Army. Uh, then also Father uh, Stephen, Stephen Burns. Uh, he didn't stay too long in Brazil, maybe a year or two at the most. I guess he didn't feel he could adapt. But Father Matthias, he was a champion, uh, excellent prior. They arrived there in uh, the early 1960s. But it wasn't until in 1962 that they defined a place where they're going to found the monastery. Uh, the original thinking that they would found a monastery, a priory, in Brasilia. The, uh, the new national capital, Brasilia, was founded in 1960. Uh, that was to open up the frontier, to go west, uh, and it was a success story. Uh, there was a, uh, another Benedictine from uh, Germany. Uh, he was very enthused about, he said, Brasilia can't be without Benedictines. Not only him, but also some oblates that were in the... Um, uh, the higher government p- positions, uh, they said, we have to have a Benedictine monastery in this new capital. And what was uh, our Abbey's kind of personal motivation for going to Brazil? Because people, I know when I first learned about it, thinking of Kansas and Brazil, never thought about them in the same thought until I came here. Well, Abbot Cuthbert McDonald, uh, when he received this uh, invitation, um, he said, sure, we can make a foundation. We have 120 priest monks here. And so uh, it was almost hands down, yeah, let's go to Brazil. And was that the invitation uh, by the Pope? Uh, uh, well, the, the Pope, that came on later. Okay. And the, the Vatican II Council uh, terminated in '67. But um, they was talking about already, uh, yes, uh, the Pope says Brazil, and like many other South American countries, are bordering on going communist. And so he said, uh, so he said uh, he wants all religious men and women think about making foundation in uh, Latin America, South America, uh, and also not only him, but also there was a cry from Benedictines in Brazil. Uh, and so there was a lot of support for going there. Even the Conference of Bishops put together a language program, which all of us took take part of it. It was rather inexpensive and a, a very uh, efficient Within a couple of months, we were able to learn Portuguese, not only the language, but also history, culture of Brazil. It was a very good program. Mm. And uh, fortunately, 
uh, it was done in, his, in, the, in the state of Goyas, where we were interested. That's where the, the national capital, Basilio, was part of the state of Goyas uh, in the central west. Anyway, with this, uh, for, uh, this movement, Go West, uh, New Capital, Basilia, um, the uh, interest was to develop the interior uh, for ranching and farming, even some type of gold rush attitude. They thought it'd be more gold out there by the rivers, and, and that happened also before our time. But we had a difficult uh, problem of founding a place, uh, finding a place in Brasilia. Uh, it was uh, a lot of politics going on, a whole new capital. The, uh, the, then when we were there, a new bishop, archbishop, was appointed for the state capital, I mean the, the country's capital. Uh, and so he was in favor of also having Benedictines in a new diocese. And uh, so uh, there was a lot of conversation between the church and the state. Um, and uh, the local mayor was uh, favorable. But he wasn't too much attuned to giving strangers free land in the city. In fact, they were kind of saying, well, we could go out to a uh, neighboring place where a lot of the workers were living, the workers building the building a new city, and so we kind of thought that would be good to have monastery together with working class. But anyway, elections came shortly for a new mayor, and so he didn't want to do anything to do with the former mayor had, and so we were kind of lost for a place to found. Anyway, along that, uh, the Benedictines were housing with a group of Franciscans. Uh, they had a house, a parish in Brasilia, in a neighboring city also. And one of them was made bishop and he, in the interior of the state of Goyas. Anyway, he almost had no clergy. And there was a group of uh, Spanish Augustinian um, friars uh, who were there for maybe 20 years, but they were on the way out. And so they were leaving the diocese without maybe three or four religious priests. And so this new bishop, his name is uh, Kasha, he's of Italian descent, Bene uh, Benedict Tasha. Uh, he heard about the Benedictines, wanted to found a priory, and so he uh, did most he could uh, to get us there in his diocese. The diocese is called Jatai. It's the name of a, a honeybee, Jatai. Anyway, uh, and so what happened, he offered to take uh, Bishop, uh, Father Matthias to... Uh, all the parishes in his diocese. So they spent about a week visiting different parishes. And uh, when they got to Menaders, the Augustinian friars were on the way out. And the people just finished building a new church in 1958 
and this was 1960. So, uh, well, build a new church, but they don't have no organ priests anymore. So they heard about these uh, Benedictine priests wanting and looking for a place, and so they put on a big show to receive these Benedictine priests coming with the new bishop. And so that was kind of... And also what uh, convinced uh, Father Matthias, our new prior, is that this nice church even had a marble altar in it. And uh, so he kind of says, well... We like the place, but we have to check out with our superiors. So we say, well, you might be hearing us in the near future. And so uh, that's what happened. Uh, they communicated with the chapter here in, in Atchison and decided that, yes, uh, let's found, the, not in the national capital, but in the uh, this upgoing city in the frontier of Brazil. Uh, the population at that time was about 10,000. Last year it was 70,000, and there was 70% 70, 70 of them are Catholic. Wow. Uh, another interesting thing that uh, shortly before we got there, the uh, Presbyterians came into town with a lot of strength. They built a hospital. They built a uh, boarding school and a new church. And so the uh, the pastor who was on, he was kind of lost. So what can we do with that competition? <laughs> so they got uh, the local mayor kind of went along with them, says, let's get some sisters here, and uh, they will uh, ha open up a school. So the po local population built a school, two-story school, and... Uh, and rooms for the sisters to live. It's supposed to be a, a boarding school, a girls' boarding school. That's why it was built rather large with rooms and auditorium, in fact. Anyway, uh, this place becomes uh, a training center. Bishop uh, Kosha, he was a uh, Vatican II um, councilman. And so he was in tune with all the new novelty about the Vatican II, especially with the formation of a laity. And so he wanted uh, all his parishes have a, a place where you have formation programs. And since we had that school built already, and his sisters, uh, about that time, the Benedictine sisters were coming into town. This was back in uh, 1962 was the official founding of the St. Joseph Priory. It wasn't too too long after that the sisters, Benedictine sisters from Matches came to town mm. also. They started out with four or five sisters. Mm. Are, uh, they still, are they still present there? Uh, there's no Americans. There's uh, five Brazilian sisters. Oh, okay, great. It's like uh, Priory St. Mm -hmm. Joseph, they're all uh, Brazilians. Yeah. I was the last of the Americans. Bishop Herbert, he was there until the early 19, eight, uh, 2019. Mm -hmm. He died in January, and I left in uh, September mm -hmm. 2019. And how did you come to Brazil? 
Well, first of all, I was very enthused about going to Brazil. Uh, I saw the enthusiasm when I was a novice. And uh, one day I was just talking to a colleague and said, uh, I already had a master's degree. Uh, was that in library science? Library science, uh, yes. And uh, one of our monks down there had a car accident. And so Abbott says, uh, Abbott Thomas now, as Abbott here in Kansas, he says, we'd like to send two more. I said, well, I'm a volunteer. He said, well, we need another one. Well, I heard that Brother Robert is interesting also. Uh, and so uh, we paired up and we convinced the Abbott that we'd be good additions there. Anyway, we left uh, in... Uh, 1971, in September 1971. Mm -hmm. So does that mean the foundation was almost 10 years old at that point? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the foundation was uh, two, uh, one, uh, 1962. That's uh, when the, the monks took over the local parish, yeah. the Holy Spirit parish, uh, with the new church. and Anyway, uh, when we got there, Brother Robert and I, the monks were starting a uh, agricultural expansion program. Uh, they saw how the people were farming and said that's kind of outdated. They were tearing down kind of uh, trees in near swampy area because they were planting, wanting to plant rice. That was a big pro uh, produce at that time. But Father Eric had some classes at Benedictine College in agriculture. And uh, he said this type of land that he could uh, speculate on is rather cheap because it doesn't produce even enough grass for cattle grazing. And so he said, I, make, I can make that fertile by applying agricultural lime. Anyway, he uh, was successful. He even put together a cooperative, a farm ranch cooperative. Uh, interesting today, that is a business, the uh, largest business operation in the city of Minatus. Later on, he even went into dairy cattle, crossbreeding. He knew uh, the capacity of crossbreeding. He used an excellent hosting bull with the local uh, brammer would have the high uh, the degree of uh, immunities, yes. Yeah. So it was a, uh, a very successful project. So was this a way in which this was kind of part of the work of the monks, how you were also supporting yourself, was right. developing this agricultural? And also it was a kind of a show, uh, show place, show the local people who were ranching and farming mm -hmm. that... Um, of course, nobody had much machinery, a lot done by hand and by ox cart and plow. And anyway, uh, Father Eric was able to get some machinery of ours for our own, and we were plowing. And uh, he purchased a piece, a piece of property. And with the this help of the state agriculture department, he got some lime, agricultural lime, put on it, and planted rice. 
And the people saw the harvest of rice. They couldn't believe it. Mm. You know, and that piece of land was considered useless. So uh, and then after that, it kind of snowballed. Everybody started uh, buying uh, equ equipment for farming. Mm. Of course, ranching went on. Mm -hmm. What were some of your duties when you when you arrived? I was I was mostly in pasture work. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an idea that we had by when I got there in '71, we had in charge of three parishes um, in uh, three different counties, and so uh, we were using a lot of manpower and a lot of we had uh, do a lot of driving. But uh, as our bishop had very few priests, so uh, we kind of stretched ourselves out thin. Brother Robert has had a lot of experience in farming here in Kansas, and he was a success in his uh, introducing um, farming in the middle of Brazil. And also he was very capable of maintaining machinery, which was a very breakthrough also. But um, what we were doing mostly in my work was uh, interesting. A new guy on the block has to do all the weddings. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, maybe after 10 years going a little further down, uh, our diocese adopted the implementation of permanent deacons. And so that was a real breakthrough also. I helped Bishop the formation of these uh, married men. Uh, we had uh, three in our parish who were, who, had, who, uh, were ordained permanent deacons. Uh, and that was a, uh, it still is a very, I think my idea is that uh, a very uh, important I call the permanent deacons kind of a walking catechism. Mm -hmm. You know, he's uh, visible in society, he's well-known, well-respected, and uh, people can ask him anything. Uh, so they, did the, the communities there take to it pretty quickly? Very, very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys were very uh, competent and generous. And, mm. But unfortunately, the program didn't go on. Uh, we still have deacons that are ordained 30 years. But uh, it's interesting, the new bishops weren't too enthused about permanent deacons. Uh, we haven't had an ordination in the last 25, 30 years. Hmm. Um, but that's another bag of worms. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, of course, we do have uh, Eucharistic ministers, men and women, and that is very important also, especially outreaching to the, the, the sick, uh, the hospital. Uh, would you believe now this Lord town has five hospitals? Wow. And four colleges. Mm. Uh, I mean, things have really grown in the last 10 years. The Benedictines, uh, of course, we have a lot of experience with school, high school, and grade school, and college here in Kansas. But uh, in Brazil, 1960 was kind of a um, 
questioning the, the value of Catholic schools. And Bishop Matthias, uh, he, uh, well, he became bishop after about 10 years in Brazil. Let me tell you a story about that. Uh, one time, they wanted to have a, in our monastery, place to uh, have a retreat for our clergy in the diocese. So getting all everyone together, there were, we were about uh, 25 priests. And um, we invited one of the uh, abbots from the Benedictine Monastery to be the retreat master. So the opening conference was very good. And then there was a, uh, a meal afterwards, of course, evening meal. We have a, had a cook. She uh, was quite successful, but um, she went to buy gelatin uh, to serve as a dessert. But neither she didn't read, nor could the person who sold her stuff couldn't read, and she ended up giving us a package of white arsenic. <laughs> and uh, she thought it was white gelatin, and the therapist who sold it thought it was white gelatin. And of course, we ate this gelatin. It was very tasty. And uh, but Matthias, he had the evening mass. He had to run for that mass. He couldn't stay for dessert, so he didn't eat anything like that. But during the night, a lot of priests were getting diarrhea, vomiting, and so of course he would rush them to the hospital. So next morning, he had an early mass. Then he went to see the guys in the hospital, and the doctor says, there's something funny going on. Uh, let's go out and see that monastery, maybe see what they, what they ate. And of course, they found in the trash this paper, uh, white arsenic. Oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, but nobody died. Nobody died, you know. <laughs> but, uh, well, one of the Franciscan friars uh, he did, wasn't there with us. He was a brother. Um, he called the bishop, who was in the States that time, and uh, he said, the, the, all the monks and the priests got poisoned. And the bishop thought, they died? <laughs> Wiped out my diocese. <laughs> but, but an otherwise successful cook. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, it was uh, it was an event. Uh, we spent about two, about three nights in the hospital. Fortunately, the um, the retreat master, he was from the famous city of São Paulo. Uh, his brother had an airplane, so his brother came to uh, pick up his brother, take him back to the monastery. But in the, in the meantime. Uh, somebody said, have him bring back some special medicine to combat this poison. So with that, he arrived about the, during the day, the first day we were in the hospital. So we got that application. So uh, nobody seriously sick. But after about three days and three nights in the hospital, doctor said, you can go home, but nobody leave town. And it's good to drink a lot of liquids. 
even drink a lot, eat a lot of sweet stuff. So there we were playing cards, drinking pop, and eating candy. <laughs> of course, the, the retreat master said, hey, it's too bad I couldn't stay there. I mean, it would have been a nice retreat thinking about death and dying, <laughs> but that was, uh, it went down in history. Yeah. And the bishop didn't lose any priests. Speaking of bishops, um, can you tell us a little bit about Bishop Matthias? Well, Bishop Matthias, he's just a general swell guy. Uh, He became an excellent bishop, a famous bishop, because of his capacity and generosity and and humility. He started out as auxiliary bishop in the local diocese. the ordinary was talking about dividing the diocese. I mean, it's still one. He didn't divide it, but he was talking about it. It's one of the largest territory dioceses in the country. Anyway, um, they they're going to uh, divide it north and south or east and west. Well, they disagreed on that. One wanted to divide north and south. The other one wanted to divide north and west. So at this, uh, seeing that this division uh, is kind of uh, difficult between the two of them. And so the uh, apostolic delegate says, well, I give Bishop Matthias a Hindu diocese, seeing another place. And so he went to uh, a neighboring state. In fact, it was rather a poorer place. But he was a champion for supporting the poor, organizing people. He was made bishop in 1972. So he didn't see the construction of the new priory. Hmm. Uh, uh, Ralph and Herbert came along shortly after uh, they took over the parish. And... uh, well, the, the priory was built in 64. And so Father Ralph uh, soon became prior, and he was also very uh, able, able in terms of construction work. He, they were, there was an architecture in town who had finished uh, building a new hospital. And uh, they said, well, since he's here, let's have him project for us a new priory so that same building still stays after mm. in 1964 it was inaugurated. Mm. Anyway, uh, Bishop Matthias was popular man because of his uh, energy, his, uh, in fact, he was uh, called on certain uh, give certain talks in Canada, Central America. He even gave a talk to uh, abbots in Rome, Congress of Abbots. Um, he's a very vocal speaker and very good, uh, well-versed man. But he died young hmm. in 1992. Um, he had heart problems. And, of course, a good man, you can't keep him down. He's on the go, and I guess he overdid it. Mm. And so he uh, got up 
early in the morning was to feeling well, and it was his, uh, I guess, his ongoing prayer, pray the rosary, walking, and so he was walking around the plaza, and he fell dead. Mm. Um, and of course, that shocked the whole world almost. Mm. So yeah. back back to your time there. How many years in total were you in Brazil? I came back last year, nine, uh, 2019, after 47 years in Brazil. Wow. So you, you, I'm sure you weren't saying weddings all 47 years. So, yes. So can you describe more of uh, what your experience was there? Well, I told you we had uh, we'd taken care of three parishes one time. Um, at one time, about 10 years, I was pastor of the, of the two outside parishes. It was like I'd go Saturday afternoon to one parish, the furthest one, stay overnight there, had the Mass the Saturday night, and again Sunday morning, then come back to the other parish, the smaller one, Our Lady of Grace Parish, and I had uh, Sunday afternoon Mass there, then come back home uh, for the week. So that was that would tie me up only Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning. Um, that went on for about six years. Then uh, I came back to Minados. Well, I mean, stationed back in Minados. Um, I became pastor of the Holy Spirit Parish. Uh, then also. I started teaching in the first college in town. It wasn't our college, it was, uh, but Father Eric was kind of a co-founder. Mm. And so uh, a lot of people in town kind of say it's a Benedictine college. Mm. But uh, we taught there about 10 years. What's the, what's the name of the college? Um, Uni Femis. Uh, like university. Femis mm-hmm. uh, means a fac- uh, Welsh in Portuguese, faculdade, the college, the municipal college of Mineiros. Mm-hmm. Uh, U, uh, college is a faculdade, means FF, so university, faculty, uh, Mineiros. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, it now has a, two schools of medicine. Mm. What were you teaching when you were there? I was teaching sociology. Mm. Um, Eric was teaching mathematics. Joaquin was uh, had a degree in psychology then. Josias, uh, he taught also. He was kind of newly in uh, getting his degree. But it was uh, interesting. One high point in my career, I was teaching a group of, it was a sociology applied to uh, the pedagogy course, teacher training, and also to uh, the business course. Sociology is trying to show them how society works, the different social institutions. Uh, Anyway, uh, I was teaching sociology. I thought I had a good program for the day, and... uh, well, the students are kind of getting up and going out. I don't know if they're getting coffee or getting going to the bathroom. And uh, they weren't paying attention. And I just threw my notebook up in the air. And it hit a fluorescent light. And it broke, came down. 
and they really made a big mess and real sick. <laughs> anyway, after that, several teachers came around thanking me, congratulating me. You know, you really did a good job calling the attention of those students. And they got better, it seemed like. <laughs> and after the college, what, what kind of work were you engaged in? Well, we stopped teaching because um, we were more involved in parish life and uh, formation. Also, uh, well, yeah, we were expanding more pastorally work. Uh, there, there were more retreats going on. We had uh, working with the Kusila movement with marriage encounters. And so it was kind of a... And also, uh, Eric was with cancer. And so uh, I took over his job as pastor. And then after his death, I continued for a while. Um, also, the... Uh, Well, of course, the confessions, and uh, we had some new vocations coming in. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of take turns. We were giving classes to them. I was novice master more than one time. Hmm. What kind of classes were offered? Well, mostly for, uh, you know, history of monasticism, Bible studies, um, the rule. In fact, uh, made me... Do a lot of reading, studying, preparing for classes. Uh, the uh, another aspect of the we had we stop uh, teaching was the not only the pastoral work, but uh, well, pastoral work is expanding. You know, the uh, more people in the hospital visit, uh, elderly population. Uh, even the youth ministry. Um, with the uh, ordination of new guys like uh, Father Josias, Father Vinicius, uh, Joaquin was ordained uh, not too late after my, about 10 years after I got there. Um, when I got there in 71, Joaquin was already uh, a candidate, and uh, Jose Machado, he was our first priest. Uh, he was uh, already in philosophy. Hmm. We sent him to a different in another monastery in Brazil for his philosophy and theology. So he came back in around, uh, I would say, in the early 80s. He was ordained, our first uh, Brazilian or, ordained. Mm. Then uh, Joaquin, not too much after that. Then Josias, mm. shortly after that. 1992, uh, Herbert was made bishop. And then after about 10 years, well, when, when Bishop uh, Matthias was assumed in a new parish in a poor area, he asked Father Kieran to help him be kind of his uh, pastor of the parish, of the cathedral church. And so Kieran spent about 10 years with him. 
So uh, Bishop Herbert, after about 10 years of bishop, he asked me to uh, be his vicar general. So I was with him from nine, uh, 2002 to 2010. May, uh, one time when I came back from uh, after my eight years with Bishop Herbert, uh, they may be prior again, as well as novice pastor. And when um, Father Chiago comes along in his monastery, very mature person, competent, uh, we decided to get him into a program for formation work, mm. which he did about uh, three summers. Mm -hmm. He did it. Uh, so he's a very capable person for formation work. Mm -hmm. And just last couple of weeks ago, we got three guys coming in yeah, under, his, under his super supervision. So the uh, over the years, we have learned and tried to put together a good community life. Um, Father Eric was involved with a lot of stuff, but he would rare that he would miss a meal or miss a prayer service with us. And that was kind of a uh, good news for all of us, I think. Mm. Yeah, we're busy, but we try to live the monastic life. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to share all this with us. I want to ask one last question. Yes. Because uh, this recording is for future generation of monks at St. Benedict's Abbey. So looking back on your time as a monk and your, your experience then and now, what do you have a, a few tidbits of wisdom you want to share with future generations and advice for a future novice? Yes. Uh, a novice comes to a whole different culture. Uh, you know, all male. Uh, we have a daily schedule. Everyone is expected to follow. Uh, there's not a whole lot of space for individual expressions, except for, of course, uh, people can, I mean, young, young men can do, you know, excel in music or, you know, in uh, different projects, as long as it's approved by our superiors, of course. I mean, we don't want to squelch uh, talents or initiatives, but... Uh, it's entering the uh, rhythm of the community. Um, we want a community of men who uh, who care for one another, listen to one another, collaborate. Um, this makes uh, a good monastic life. Um, I guess none of us saints, but we are all saints, you know in the making, uh, you know, the day-by-day -day living, uh, we rubbing shoulders and uh, uh, ch exchanging thoughts and ideas and sharing our, our bad points and our good points. I mean, that's, uh, we have all that, but we learn to forgive as well as we learn to uh, respect. So uh, it's an ongoing growth program. Uh, one has to have the humility to uh, see that I can get better. 
I can collaborate, I can respect better. Um, because uh, we are all different. We're all different stages, huh? Some have been here for 50 years, some have been here for a uh, few months, and some have been here for five years. And uh, But with the uh, acceptance, the respect, and the love, it makes a very good community. Thanks, Father Drain. Can you lead us in a closing prayer? Yes. Uh, St. Benedict was a very wise man in his time, wrote a rule for us to follow. We still follow that. Um, it has led many men to sanctity and also women who followed the rule of St. Benedict's. We ask that the Lord will continue to bless our new monks coming in and this we elder ones who are trying to be a good example to respect and uh, help them in their journey as they begin and as they grow. May the Holy Spirit be among us, keeping us united, keeping us humble. This we ask in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Welcome to Nova et Vetera. Oh, come on. Dang it. I mispronounced <laughs> it, didn't I? You put the emphasis on the P-O. Esvetera. Look, I'm just, I'm just trying to read it. Nova. Nova. Welcome to Nova et Vetera. Dang it, I did it again, didn't I? Welcome to Nova et Vetera. It's like McDonald's, except you're getting the ancient and new wisdom of the church. <laughs> Welcome to Nova et Vetera. What can I give you? And, and less cholesterol. We, we hope, hope you, you enjoy, enjoy it. it. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you enjoy it. <laughs> we kind of ran over each other there we just did. a little bit. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, one more time.